What can I say? And what can I do? But offer this part, O oh God, completely to you. Heavenly Father, as we begin this next series, speak to us. Speak to us about the things that matter. The things that really matter. Speak to us now and in each week to come. Help us to gain a better understanding about our path, our direction, and how to get where ultimately you and we both want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Good morning. Today we're going to start a new sermon series. It is called The Path. And it's based upon a book written by Andy Stanley. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. See, the first few verses of chapter 1 in that book is the prologue to the book. And whenever I start something new, I kind of want to know what it is I'm jumping into. When I decide to watch a movie, I mean, I don't need to know the whole plot and all the story of the movie, but I do want to know... I mean, is this an action flick? Is it a, is it a sports movie? Is it an adventure movie? Is it a chick flick? I kind of want to know what I'm getting myself into. So before we jump into the book of Proverbs, let me tell you about it. See, in ancient Israel, there were three groups of people who communicated on behalf of God. Number one, you had the priests. They gave us the law. Number two, you had the prophets, and they would give us direction and correction. And then number three, you had the sages, and they gave us counsel. The book of Proverbs, then the books surrounding it, Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, are books by those sages. We call them the wisdom literature. You see, having intelligence, means that you know things. Having wisdom means that you know what to do in various situations. See, you can be smart without being wise. Wisdom literature was written to help make us wise, to help us to know what to do when we find ourselves in specific situations. The book of Proverbs was primarily written by King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. In fact, the Bible tells us this about Solomon. He spoke 3,000 prophets, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles, and fish from all nations. People came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who heard of his wisdom. See, in today's society, we King Solomon would have a master's degree in literature. He'd have some sort of a recording deal for all of his songs. He'd have PhDs in philosophy, zoology, orinthology, herpetology, and a few other ologies that I didn't have time to look up, and quite frankly, I'm not sure I can actually pronounce them. <laughs> Solomon died 
in 931 BC. So most of this book was written by then, but, but Solomon didn't write all of the Proverbs. We believe that he wrote chapters 1 through 24, but chapters 25 through 29 were compiled 200 years later by men in the days of King Hezekiah. We know that because Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 1 says, these are the more Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men Hezekiah, king of Judah. Chapter 30 was written by a man named Agur, the son of Jacob. And chapter 31 was written by King Lemuel. Now we have no idea who those two men are, but we just know that they must have been pretty wise too to be in the book of Proverbs. So that's a little bit of background. So let's jump into the path. Today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 7. And here's what we all know from our own real life experiences when it comes to paths. The road that you are on determines where you're going to end up. It's true, isn't it? If I head east on I-40, eventually I'm going to end up in Wilmington. Whatever road, whatever highway, whatever path that I am on, is going to determine where I end up. I may want to end up somewhere else, but I can, I can pack my beach towel, get some sunscreen, and with, with every hope of spending a week at the beach. But if I head west instead of east on I-40, I'm going to end up in Asheville and the sunscreen's going to do me no good up there. Which reminds me of hiking. See, Years ago, I haven't done it in probably over a decade now, but years ago, I would take a week off from work every October, and I'd head up to the Appalachian Trail, and I'd hike for a week, turn off my phone, get away from everything, and spend some time reconnecting with God in nature. Now, if you know anything about hiking, how do, how do you stay on the trail? You stay on the trail by following the blades. A white blaze represents the Appalachian Trail. If you walk a little while and you don't see another white blaze, you're off the trail. Backtrack, find that white blaze, and it will keep you on the correct path. Now, each hiking trail has different color blazes, so if you're trying to follow the white blaze and now all of a sudden you see a red one, you're on the wrong trail. See, following the blaze, Staying on the right path is what this is all about. The principle of the path is this. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. As obvious as that is in the world of geography, when it comes to the rest of our lives, whether it be our family, our work, our financial life, or how we raise our kids, our physical fitness, even our professional lives, the same principle applies. In every single area of my life, my direction, not my intentions, will determine my destination. But yet, 
How many times have you been in a conversation with someone who's describing how their life became shipwrecked? Or how their marriage blew up? Or how their kids grew up rebellious and resentful? How many times have you talked to students who didn't get the grades that they were hoping for? Or didn't make the team they were trying out for? And as they're describing how, how, what led up to this failure, you're secretly thinking to yourself, well, didn't you see that coming? <laughs> I mean, you didn't actually study for the exam. You somehow thought you were going to get a good grade on it? Let's talk about this principle maybe one step further. It's so much a part of life on planet Earth that it overcomes almost everything else. Well, except for God. You can have the best of intentions and still end up in the worst of situations. That can happen to you even if you're the smartest person in the world or the best looking or the biggest or, or the strongest. The principle is true no matter how strong-willed you are, no matter how pleasant you are, no matter how much your mama loves you or how much your daddy left you in the will. When it comes to every single area of our lives, your direction. Not your intentions, not your strengths, not your weaknesses, not your hopes, and not your dreams. Your direction will determine your destination. The path that you take will determine where you're going to end up. Let me show you this from what Solomon showed his audience 3,000 years ago. You see, in Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 6, Solomon is about to tell us a story. We don't know whether it's a true story or whether he was making it up to demonstrate this principle, but as he tells us this story, he's standing at a window, and he's looking down on the street. And this is what he tells us. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner walking along in the direction of her house at twilight. And as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to anticipate where this story is headed. A young guy cruising the streets at sunset, heading in the direction of a specific woman's house. And as we're going to see in a second, he knew who this woman was, and he knew that she was married. And apparently he knew that her husband was out of town and that she would be prowling around that street corner, looking, well, just looking, that alone should have stopped him in his tracks. But it didn't. In fact, it was the very reason he was headed in her direction. If we were able to get inside of this guy's head and tap into the soundtrack that's playing within his head for this particular evening, we may have heard a song like Party Like a Rockstar. Maybe if he was a classic rock fan, maybe it would have been Born to be Wild. Either way, he was confident that, he was going, that this was going to be a night to remember. Maybe even one to brag to his friends about the next day. Meanwhile, back at the window, Solomon is watching this young man. And there was a soundtrack playing in Solomon's mind as well. And it was a theme song 
the job. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, because there is a marked contrast between what this young man was expecting to experience and what Solomon knew was in that young man's future. Because from the older, wiser man, he understood from the, from the experience, from experience where that path would lead. That adolescent was preoccupied with what he believed was going to be an exciting event, a night to remember, a night of passion, a night disconnected from every other event in his life. But Solomon, Solomon knew better. You know, this night wasn't an, an isolated event, disconnected from all the other events in this young man's life. This night was a step down a path. A path, like all paths, that will lead somewhere. And this particular path had a predictable destination. Don't need to be the wisest man in the world to, to understand that. You can predict the outcome of this encounter with nothing to draw on but your own experience or the experience of someone that you know. Funny how that works, isn't it? What's so obvious to those watching Austin escapes us. The story continues. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home, now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Can they hear the music now? It switched to Beethoven's ninth, and with the impending sound of fate knocking at his door, she took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. When this woman said that she had fellowship offerings at home, she was essentially saying, look, I'm not a prostitute. I have plenty of money at home. I'm not after your money. I want you. She's also implying that she had been to the temple that day and had everything squared away with God. Having already taken her sin bucket and dumped it all out at the altar, she was ready to start filling it up again <laughs> with him. See, this young guy is thinking, if my friends could see me now. And at that point, he turned up the volume of his soundtrack to a 10, and he pinched himself to make sure that this wasn't a dream. Even as Solomon could have called down from the window, and gotten his attention and warned him, this young man wouldn't have heard him over the seductive words that came next. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. See, just in case he was wondering, she then asked this. My husband's not at home. 
He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home till full moon. See, that pretty much clinches it, doesn't it? Not only did he not have to worry about her husband coming home and catching them, but he could hang around for breakfast. They'd watch a little TV. And, you know, he could even spend the entire weekend. This just kept getting better and better from, from his perspective. But Solomon saw the situation in an entirely different light. See, this is Solomon's take. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. An ox heading where? See, doesn't, doesn't necessarily, you don't mean, don't you mean, I mean, he's thinking, I think what you meant to say was like a celebrity heading into the club. An ox into the slaughter. See, that's not a term we use too much today. And it doesn't look like that to not a casual observer. It certainly didn't look like that to our young man. But Solomon wasn't finished with his creative use of language here. He had two more animal analogies for emphasis. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. In case you didn't get the ox analogy going to the slaughter, how about a deer stepping into a noose with a bloodied arrow hanging from its bowels. Or, or how about this? Solomon says this kid was like a clueless bird caught in a snare. See, from Solomon's vantage point, Solomon knows that this young man was throwing away his future, possibly his entire life. Of course, were the young man able to read Solomon's mind, he would have shouted back to Solomon. You sound a lot like my dad. Besides, what does an old man know about love and passion? This, is, this isn't just a date. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. I'm not an ox. I'm not a deer. I'm not a bird. Mind your old business, old man. See, at this point in Solomon's narrative, he turns a corner and he starts to address the broader audience. See, the next words are directed and you and I, when he says, now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her path. There's a word, path. This was a path. It wasn't an event. Pay attention to the next observation. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Not a few. Many. Solomon debunked the notion that there was anything unique about what this young man was experiencing. It may have been unique to him, but this experience represented a well-worn path. A path that leads to death, despite what the naive young man may have wanted to argue 
If Solomon could have taken hold of time out and gotten this kid's undivided attention, he might have said something along these lines. Listen, I hate to break it to you, but there's nothing unique or special or rare about this. You may have never felt this way before, but a lot of other people have. And if they were here to tell you their stories, you'd think twice. You're a part of a crowd, a herd, a flock. There's nothing new here. All the outcome is all too predictable. She's done more than capture your imagination. She's writing a script for your future. You are a dead man walking. And driving home the point, Solomon adds this, her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. A highway. See, there's nothing new about this. There's nothing unique. Just another young man who has chosen a path that will take him precisely to where he doesn't want or plan to end up. See, the disconnect in Solomon's scenario is easy to see, well, at least for us, looking back. A young man who wanted his life to be relationally richer chose a path that would ultimately undermine all of his relationships. A young man who yearned for something good chose a path that led to something that wasn't good. A youth striving to prove his independence chose a well-worn path that had the potential to strip him of that independence. There's a disconnect. Solomon saw it from the window looking down. I've seen similar disconnects and you probably have seen them too. And let's Talk about that for a minute. See, we all have a propensity for choosing paths that lead us to where we don't want to go. In a few weeks, I'll give you my opinion on what causes this apparent lapse in reason. But for now, I want to focus on how this dynamic plays out in our world. Maybe in your world. Let me give you some examples. A single woman says, I want to meet and one day marry a great Christian guy who's really got his act together. But then she dates whoever acts her up, as long as he's good looking. A single guy says, I want to have a great sex life once I'm married. So he practices with every girl who comes along the way. A married woman says, I want to have a great relationship with my husband. But then she makes the children a priority over him. A husband says, I want my kids to respect me as they grow up. And then he openly flirts with every woman in the neighborhood. A young Christian says, I want to develop a deep and a lasting intimacy with God. He gets up every morning and he scrolls through TikTok. A working man says, I want to grow old and invest the latter years of my life in my grandchildren. But he neglects his health. A regular guy says, I want to get thin and lose some weight. Go ahead and supersize that. 
A couple says, we'd like our children to develop a personal relationship with God and choose friends who have done the same. But then they skip church every weekend. Head to the beach, they sleep in, and they watch football. Newlyweds determined to be financially secure by the time they reach their parents' age. Then adopt a lifestyle sustained by debt and leveraged assets. A high school freshman intends to graduate with a GPA that will afford him options as he selects a college. But then he neglects his studies. The list could go on and on, and the people this list represents have legitimate goals, and oftentimes every good intention of reaching those goals. But like the naive young man in Solomon's story, the path that they choose eventually brings them to the destination that is entirely different from the one they hoped for. And it's not rocket science. We shouldn't need someone to connect the dots for us. If your goal is to lose weight, then stop going to the donut shop. If your desire is to remain faithful to your spouse, don't linger on that online chat room with members of the opposite sex. Those are pathways. They lead somewhere. It's much easier to see this dynamic at work in other people than it is in ourselves. In fact, right now, you're probably sitting there thinking about someone who should have been here today to hear this because it applies <laughs> to them. But before you start putting names to faces, take a minute and think about your own life. Take a minute to look at yourself and let me ask you these questions. Are there any disconnects in your life? Are there any discrepancies between what you desire in your heart and what you're doing with your life? Is there alignment between your intentions and your direction? you've ever gotten lost while driving or while walking in the woods, I told you, backtrack. Find that next white blaze and follow it. You can usually get your bearings that way. You may waste a couple minutes in backtracking, but all you've lost is a couple minutes. But when you get lost in life, you can't backtrack. When you get lost in life, you don't waste minutes or hours you can lose entire seasons of your life. Choosing the wrong path in life will cost you precious years. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants to wake up in their 50s and wish they had taken a different path in their 30s. Nobody wants to arrive at the end of a marriage and wish they had taken a different path during their dating years. Think about it. You only get to be 21. You only get one senior year. You only get one life to live. So live it well. The path that we choose at those critical junctions doesn't just determine our destination for the following year, but for the following seasons of life. The principle of the path is operating in your life every single minute of every single day. You are currently on a financial path of some kind. Could be good, could be bad. 
You are on a relational path. You are continuing down a moral path, an ethical path, an entertainment path. And each of these paths has a destination. Which raises the question again, why would a guy like the one in Solomon's story walk down such a path? How come he doesn't see what's coming at the end of that path? The answer is, he doesn't think it's a path. He thinks it's a one-time event. When the truth is, God says your life and its destination isn't about the immediate, it's about the ultimate. You can't overcome the principle of the path with just good intentions. Your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. Some of you have been brokenhearted at times in your life. You've wanted to know, why did God let this happen to me? The answer is, he didn't. He wanted to stop it, but he couldn't stop you. We are the problem. This leads to two questions that I want to ask you this morning. What direction are you headed in today? Morally, relationally? Financially, what direction are you headed in? See, these are the biggies. We could probably probe many more ideas. Now, I can't answer these to you. Only you can. But I want to encourage you to take some time before you go to bed tonight to think about this. What direction are you headed in? Number two, how do you learn to choose the right for that, I want to give you a couple answers on how you can do that. Number one, get wisdom. That's what we're going to be doing throughout this series, getting wisdom from Solomon and wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Reading Proverbs will increase your wisdom. In fact, there's 31 chapters in the book. Read one chapter a day for the next 31 days. Second way, find a small group. What, what if a friend had run down the stairs to this young man? What if a friend had run down, warned him, and rescued him before he ever got near that woman's house? His whole life would have been different. Who do you have in your life that's going to warn you about the danger before it's too late? And then number three, make choices that are based on the long term and not the short term. See, your life, the way that we see your life, and the way that God sees your life, see, is by thinking about it like a path, a series of steps, not just a bunch of unrelated events. Think about what will happen if you eat that brownie every day after lunch. <laughs> Think about what will happen if you balance your checkbook and save, and then tithe every month. What does your life look like step by step if you do that every month? Think about what will happen if you pray each and every morning and you say nice things to your spouse before you leave for work every day. Make choices based on what will develop if you do something over a long period of time. Because the path that you're on will determine 
your destination. Every decision is a fork in the road that will lead you down one path or another. And the question for us is what path, which fork in the road, will we take? Heavenly Father, every decision that I make is a new fork in the road. Every decision that I make takes me down a new path. Heavenly Father, help me to choose the right path because you are our champion. In Jesus' name, amen.